Welcome to the Immigrant Finance Podcast, a show dedicated to everything money, online business, and immigration, because immigrant families deserve to build generational wealth too. I'm your host, Adina, social entrepreneur, immigration attorney, and financial educator and coach for immigrant families. I created the Immigrant Finance Platform with my husband, Mauricio, who immigrated to the U.S. eight years ago after we struggled through the whole process of trying to figure out finances as an immigrant family alone. We wanted to share what we learned about building wealth with others along the way and created the Immigrant Finance School Group Coaching Program where we teach immigrants and their families like you how to manage their money, get started investing, and build online businesses in just weeks, all with group accountability and support. Our clients have been able to get started investing and develop lifelong plans to build generational wealth regardless of their immigration status actually launched an online business they've been dreaming of starting for years, bring in enough income to leave a job with a shitty boss, and book up their calendar for the rest of the month just after announcing their new coaching business. I'm coming to you with a new show several times a week with stories about online business lessons, money and mindset insights, and guest interviews to help you become financially empowered. Each episode will switch between personal finance and online business topics. Now let's get to this week's episode. Hello everyone, welcome. This is Adina here from Immigrant Finance. I am recording uh, today from Quito, Ecuador with our very special guests, Andrea, Hector, and Derek from Empower. Welcome, how are you all doing? Good, thank you. Excellent. Great, thank you for being here. Um, So I first learned about Empower and the work you're doing through Hector, who is a former student and alumni of um, our Immigrant Finance School program. He's amazing. He's a professor. He's the first professor who went through the program. Um, I have to admit, you know, I was very intimidated to have a professor as a student, (laughs) but it's been um, so wonderful to work with you and and continue having um, a professional relationship, learn about your work and now be able to share more about the great work you're doing, what you've started. So we can just start off um, with each of you giving an introduction uh, about yourself. Hector, do you want to get started and then pass to Andrea? Sure. Um, my name is Hector Eduardo Gamero Jauregui, and um, as Adina mentioned, I um, jumped in with immigrant finance. And during that time, I, I was already communicating with my team members about Empower, but a little bit before all of that. Um, I am an immigrant. I was born in Mexico, uh, Zapopan, Jalisco, Mexico, to be exact. Um, and I came to the U.S. when I was six years old. And I didn't really know at the time what what it meant to be undocumented, but that was essentially the life that I had um, here in the U.S. Um, I, I, the one thing I do remember is what my parents told me to, that to lure me here in the U.S. was that we were going to take a trip to Disneyland. And uh, it was the 80s and even the 90s, even still now, right? Like Disneyland is still something you can, you can bribe kids with. So um, that was successful. Um, and since then, um, since we came here in, in 89, right, I've just been trying to adapt as much as I can and at the at the very least, be able to um, have some agency of myself. Um, you know, when I first started off, when we first got here in the U.S., very limited in in what what we were able to work with, right? In particular, access to work and work authorization. So that was something that was really my motivation. Um, I didn't mention that now I'm a professor, and that was really my main motivation to continue in, in education is because I knew where my life would be if I, if I didn't pursue education myself. Um, I would have been just a janitor and a, and a housekeeper, which is not undignified work. It's very honorable and honest. Um, my mother continues to do that to this day, and I help her still. Um, as a professor, I still go out and help her because she has her business as a, she has a janitorial business and a housekeeping business. But I knew that I wanted more of myself. I, I started working with my mom at six or seven years old, helping her out, and I knew that I wanted more. So I used education to propel myself into experiences and situations. And I didn't know it then, but hopefully be able to meet wonderful folks who can help me discover um, 
what I feel like I should be doing on this planet, which is kind of where it brings me into Empower. So I'll leave it there and pass it on. To Andrea. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Andrea Gaitan. I am one of the co-founders of Empower. And I come to this work as an ally um, to the immigrant community or the daughter of um, an immigrant father who immigrated from Mexico. I grew up in the Los Angeles area. Uh, and uh, I think being a Californian, uh, being, um, you know, somebody who was raised in an area like Los Angeles, it was just rich with um, people from all over the world. It just, you know, it was natural for me to be what, you know, sometimes are referred to majority minority communities. I didn't believe that, um, that when people told me that, um, as a person of color, that I was a minority, um, in the state or in this country, I didn't believe them because my whole world and existence was in that Los Angeles area. And, um, everyone I knew had a parent who was from a different country. Um, at least one parent, if not, you know, both parents. And we all, I think, had the different um, experiences that children of immigrants or immigrants have in terms of being separated from loved ones and families, of not being able to connect with, you know, our, you know, multiple generations because of the difficulty it, um, with immigration. Uh, with cost of actually traveling, with being able to take time off of work, um, <laughs> with all of those things. Uh, and so I grew up largely not knowing, you know, my grandparents and my family in Mexico. Um, we did take one or two family trips, but there was that distance. And so growing up in California, um, I, you know, was always told I was Mexican, but um, feeling very disassociated with that oftentimes because of the distance and not really having spent time there as a child. Um, but when I got older, um, I, you know, got into the education field and ended up um, spending multiple years abroad, both in Asia and in, in Mexico, um, and really feeling a lot more connected to um my family roots, but also just, I think, linguistically developing more, you know, Spanish speaking skills, understanding the culture, um, and also understanding a little bit, just a little bit of what it feels like to be far away from home and everything that's familiar. And so I think that, you know, returning to the U.S. and being here as an educator, um, for me, it's always about um, helping students where they need help and connecting to, um, to students or to, um, kind of on a human level and not just on an academic level. And so I would spend most of my time with students, you know, before class, after class, during recess or breaks or, you know, um, on weekends, trying to connect them and their families to resources. And, um, and that's where, for me, a lot of the work that we're doing with Empower comes from. It's from those informal times that I was spending and learning with my students and their families, um, you know, about services available, you know, about, um, you know, how to prevent being exploited by landlords or by um, businesses or by um, social agencies uh, to make sure they were getting what they needed where they could be safe um, and healthy and continue their education and reach their goals. So um, it was a very natural progression for me, I think, um, to get to the point that I'm at now with Empower and um, really excited that we're at this point where we can continue to do this work. And, um, and I really appreciate the opportunity to be here today to talk about that. Derek? So um, my name is Derek Romero, and um, I self-identify as uh, being uh, documented. Um, so I've, my family migrated to the U.S. Uh, when I was the age of three, uh, when, um, where I was born. I was born in Oaxaca, Mexico. Um, you know, I didn't really ever really understand what undocumented was um, until uh, I was 15 years old. Until I asked my mom, you know, and my dad that I wanted to get a driver's license. And then that's when I realized that I was undocumented uh, pretty much in high school. Then uh, through that point, I kind of didn't really understand what I wanted to do with my life because 
education kind of seemed so far because how am I supposed to go to school, right? Um, that's kind of the mentality that I had. So me and during high school, I didn't put a lot of effort because I felt like what's kind of like the point of it, right? Um, I didn't know of any resources. I didn't know about AB 540. I didn't know about all these things, right? Um, until I pretty much got to Davis. Uh, once I got to uh, Davis, um, that's what I really understood what AB 540 was, right? Uh, even at my junior college, I knew I was AB 540, but nobody really explained it to me. They're like, oh, th this application is for you, right? Um, so that's kind of where that love uh, came from, uh, you know, trying to help out and trying to give that information to others, to the underrepresented communities is where it came from. And being really heavily involved within the AB 540 and Document Student Center at UC Davis, that's where I really felt like I could be myself. Um, and that's where, uh, you know, Empower came about, um, as in, you know, after uh, I was doing that, that work. Wonderful. Thank you each so much for sharing your stories. And it's so beautiful to hear how you've combined your personal and professional experiences to create Empower and create something that can expand the impact of what you all started together locally um, and hopefully spread it to other universities and institutions so thank you for for sharing that um, and and sort of how things developed for each of you individually i'd love to now talk about how you all met um, and what were those beginning conversations that led to what is now empower just basically the story i i can start um so uh we all have the connection that we met at the University of California, Davis. Um, I was actually a staff member there um, while uh, Hector and Derek were, were studying. Um, and I had the distinct privilege of being selected to um, found or to start our first university AB 540 and undocumented student center, oftentimes referred to as a dreamer resource center. Um, but essentially, it was a resource center on the university campus that was dedicated to supporting undocumented students, their families, and the local community. And so, um, you know, there, there are quite a few policies in place. There was new legislation like the California Dream Act, which um, entitled students who are AB 540 eligible to uh, qualify for state and private financial aid. And so there was that on top of DACA um, that kind of came into play in 2012, 2013. And so the university and university students or and prospective university students and their families um, had a lot of um, policies and procedures to kind of wade through to figure out how that all, you know, worked together to be able to um, to attend college, um, public institutions of higher education in California. And so um, I was there, I was at UC Davis um, from, well, we started the center at, in 2014. And um, I think Hector joined a year after that in 2015. And, um, and then Derek, uh, maybe the year after that. Um, so we all worked together and, um, and that's how we got to know each other. That's how we got to know this work. Um, we had, you know, like I said, for me, it was a privilege to be able to formalize the work that I had been doing informally before, you know, as I mentioned, where you do, you know, before class, after class, in between class, you know, um, you're always trying to help students and their families, but then to be told now you can do this full time and we're going to pay you and it's legitimate and we support you and we applaud it. And this is what we want to do as a university was like mind blowing to me as just a professional, as an educator to finally find that opportunity. Um, just felt really liberating. And so it was wonderful to be in that space. It was really exciting, especially in 2014, as we, you know, were one of the first um, university spaces dedicated to undocumented students. There were only maybe one or two other programs in the nation at that point. So it was, like I said, really exciting to be developing curriculum to be developing programs and um, support systems to be 
trying to repair the sort of difficult systems that we had in place so that undocumented students and immigrant students would have an easier time, um, you know, not only uh, once they're admitted, not only, you know, through the admission process, but then once they were on our campus um, so they could focus on their education and not have to worry about um, other things that, that were happening. What pioneering work, I can only imagine how, how that must have felt, especially right after DACA, to have that opportunity and be one of the first in the country. Um, I'm sure many other programs in the country have been influenced by your work. Well, we were really fortunate to also be given the, the mandate to share everything that we created, right? So we weren't proprietary, you know, at, at UC Davis. So every, you know, presentations we did, we, I traveled all over the country. I know Derek and I presented at, you know, national conferences together through that work at UC Davis. And we were always trying to share what we did, both hits and misses, you know, on <laughs> things that people could replicate. Um, and so we've tried to be really generous um, when we were in those roles. And I think even though I'm no longer there at UC Davis, I still see the work that we did, um, you know, and how it impacted other colleges and campuses throughout the state. And it was really part of a, a large movement, I think, um, in higher education and in California, particularly at that time. So it, it really, I think, did have a great lasting impact um, because we see now through all three systems of public universities and colleges in California, the community colleges, the Cal States and the UCs, that almost every single campus has a center. Um, they have, you know, there was just legislation passed in California for the community colleges that there will be a, a dream they call it dream liaison, you know, an actual staff person appointed at each of the California community colleges to continue this work. And so I, the, the relevance, the impact and um, the importance of our undocumented and immigrant communities is really rising to the forefront, I think, in higher ed in California. I imagine it may not have always been easy to get all of the widespread support statewide. Um, what were some of the, the biggest challenges that you faced? Do one of you want to comment on that? Can you repeat the question? Oh, yeah. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced getting started and um, just in terms of getting getting that support to the level where it is now, where every university has a liaison. It clearly wasn't like that in the beginning. Well, I can add a little bit to that. Um, I stepped into the center a year, a year in. So, I, you know, to me, when I step in, I, I feel like a lot of the, a lot of the great work, the, the great the, the great groundwork of of you know being able to prepare all of these materials. I came in as the education and training coordinator, um, managing a lot of our educational sector, which was being able to provide um, training and workshops for not only staff, faculty, and other community members around our region, which were. Um, other high school counselors, high school teachers, community uh, community college counselors, as well as other professors from community college who wanted to get the training and information. Basically, anyone in the community who had access or, or could help immigrants throughout this process. Um, so for me, I felt like I was incredibly grateful um, for Andrea and all of the rest of the staff members a year before to be able to do all of the hard work of you know, coming up with all of the great material, being able to um, have all of these focus groups so that the material is, um, you know, as, as prepared as possible and have some set of eyes to make it as best as possible, right? Um, and being able to, right, in that first year too, is not only being able to set up the entire space, which was a challenge on its own, being on a university campus and understanding some of the logistics. Um, and what it takes to actually build on campus, but really, you know, setting up some of this network, right? These 
these interdepartmental support to be able to get it to where it was now. That was, I feel, like a lot of the work that was done with him the first year, um, which is I'm incredibly grateful because in the second year I was able, when I, when I stepped in, right, that, that year, the challenge that year was to now implement everything that was thought up, everything that was, um, um, that's, that a lot of great folks spent effort and students as well spent effort being able to generate. Um, and, I, and that's what really where I dove myself into. Uh, previously, prior to being able to work in the center, I was, I was and I'm still an engineer. I, I um, was concentrating on engineering. I got a, a couple bachelor's degrees. One is from mechanical engineering from UC Davis. The other one's electrical. Um, and then I was very, very luckily through, a, through an opportunity and a little bit of my own hard work as well, I uh, had an opportunity to continue into graduate school. Um, I didn't step into uh, the center and got to meet Derek and Andrea until I was already um, in my fourth year in my PhD program. And up until then, up until I, I met Derek and Andrea and I stepped foot into the center, I was kind of recluse. I was in the closet about my undocumented um, identity and status. I, no one in my department knew. Uh, definitely not anyone in my laboratory knew. Um, and I was basically hidden under all the math and under all the physics and under all the engineering that was essentially early on in, in undergrad. That's where I found a, a, a little hiding spot, right? Um, I've, I've taken Chicano studies. I've taken Asian American studies, right? And I found that in those courses, I needed to, to share a lot about myself that I wasn't ready to during that time. Um, and that's where I found um, kind of engineering. And it wasn't until I was able to step into the space at UC Davis, excuse me, at the AB 500 Documented Student Center was where I was then there able to um, feed that part of myself and kind of, you know, let that part of myself be known. Um, and so I just kind of dove into the work and let and found how cathartic it was, how healing it was for me. Um, and just dedicated myself for the next three or four years of just continuing that work, being able to um, deliver the workshops, and not only that, but continue to innovate. Right, every year we were looking to um, do something more because we knew we were one of the very few um, centers available or open to providing services to students. We, you know, at least for me, also being an undocumented student at the time, I almost felt like. There was almost a sense of urgency. We we're like, wow, we were like, this is the very first time this is happening for all of us. Like, what else can we make? Right? Like, what else support do we need? Can can we provide there? Because we don't know how long we're going to be able to to have this amount of support and help. So, there was a lot of work in in those times to really kind of seek out the students, try to figure out as much as we can. It's like, okay, what do we need? What can we make? Right, and a lot of creativity. So I think that's a lot of what really helped us, or at least help us get to the point now is a lot of that work, right? Folks were able to see, we were able to back it up with reports and with data so that people can replicate it, right? And say, hey, you know, this kind of worked for this system. Um, maybe, maybe we can make something that can work over at our own institution. And that's a lot of, you know, where kind of a lot of kind of moved us towards this, this area where we're in now. Yeah, Andrea. Yeah, I think that that just kind of brings up for me, um, you know, going back to the challenges. And I think that the work, you know, I I, um, I empathize with my fellow educators out there um, because when I was, I think, in the thick of, you know, being a full-time teacher, I was in the K-12 system at the time in Los Angeles. I had 100% of my students were immigrants. Um, probably 95% of them were undocumented. And I think I never had the opportunity, you know, our district, our school site was never providing opportunities to learn about things like AB 540 or about how we support undocumented students or how we get our student undocumented students to college. Um, that was it was more survival mode. You know, let's make sure this family isn't evicted from, you know, their their home right now. Or let's try to get, you know, dental care for a student who has a huge abscess is in, and in pain. How do we get glasses to somebody who can't, you know, focus on the board? That was more the level of kind of triage and, and survival that 
a lot of educators out there probably are familiar with. Um, and so for me, I think one of the challenges was, you know, not only putting together all of the information that we thought was relevant, you know, for educators, it would be helpful for them to know, but then to get it to them and how, how we would do that. And so it was very much a grassroots movement from the beginning of trying to, like Hector said, you know, trying to connect our networks and put the word out there um, to let people know that the resource of the UC Davis AB540 Center existed. And so now I think we're seeing, you know, that was, you know, fast, let's fast forward to, you know, 2021, 2022, um, where we are now. And there are centers across the, the country or across the state and across the country as well. Uh, but it's still a challenge for educators to get the information they need and to understand and to, you know, legislation in California is changing quickly. And I mean, I remember I felt like this was one of my greatest challenges when I was at UC Davis was, you know, when the president, we, we went through the presidential election and we all, we had a big viewing party for the, the election night results, expecting we would, you know, go home that night with Hillary Clinton as our president and to be in a room full of students who, you know, had been listening to all of the rhetoric about, you know, deportation squads and about all of the things that were going to be canceled and changed. And I mean, that was horrifying to us and, um, and completely changed and made us pivot what our mission was at that point, you know, where we felt like we were going down this road, we had to make a hard right turn because there was a lot of, you know, emotional, mental health um, concerns. There were uh, a lot of questions about whether it was worthwhile to continue college education, you know, at that point, if work authorization was going to be revoked. I mean, there was a lot of what ifs. And so we really had to change our plans, you know, for that immediate time. And so I think that still happens, right? Um, a lot of the work that institutions are doing and a lot of the work that Empower is poised to do is in, you know, relation to responding to the needs of the community when they happen, right? And so now it's the three of us as consultants um, doing this work, being able to draw on what we what we known through lived experiences, through our, you know, professional experiences, um, and uh, share that, you know, and help uh, institutions or organizations build their knowledge base so that they feel like they can pivot and react when they need to as well in response to their, in response to the community's needs. And, you know, we've worked with faith-based organizations who want to be better allies. We've worked with, you know, K-12 school districts. We've worked with, um, you know, higher ed. We've worked with a lot of different entities. We worked with legal aid providers like all the time, you know, and so I, there are a lot of people out there that want to do this work and see the need on how we can support our immigrant communities. And so hopefully Empower will be one of those resources that they can call upon and trust and know that, you know, we can um, we can help be their thought partners on on some of those issues. Yeah, I'm I'm so excited about it as um, an immigration advocate, an immigration lawyer, um, financial coach for immigrants to know this resource exists. Mm -hmm. I haven't heard of anything like it, honestly. Um, and I not until getting to hear your story more did I understand the leadership you all have had together in this field for so long, for so many years. Um, I really appreciate you going into the challenges that you faced um, with the center at Davis and then how things changed in 2018 because it very much underscores um, your point that it's constant change when it comes to the experiences and, and challenges that the immigrant community is facing and the need for this expertise, really. So mm -hmm. um, I really I wanted to get a, a, a clear understanding for the audience of, of some of those problems that are out there and that will continue, even if these centers are present in more schools now, thanks to your great leadership. So yeah, let, let's talk about Empower. So what um, what is the vision for it? How did you all go from working at the center in Davis to coming up with this idea? Like what were the needs? Well, I, I'll say, you know, I, I was um, 
Maybe Derek beat me to it. Derek, did you you left first, right? Because you graduated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Derek left, and that he graduated, and I um, eventually left as well in twenty eighteen, uh, late twenty eighteen. Um, I moved on to a different position at a different institution, and um, I immediately was almost in mourning. I knew as soon as I left, I just felt so sad. Um, that that wouldn't be my full-time work anymore, um, that I had other things to administer and tend to um, in education. I, I still, I loved my new position, but I also just was in mourning for, um, for the work that I had been doing and the communities I had been working with. And, um, and so I think it always was in the back of my mind. Um, and then, I don't know, Hector was still at the center. You want to? share your, your experience? <clears throat> yeah. And, um, I think during that time when, when you left, there was a big shift in the center as well. Um, you had held the director position and I was the engineering or not engineering, the education and training coordinator. And we were looking for, um, for someone to be able to fill in that role. Um, and, during that time, while we were doing that at the center, um, we needed to scale down a little bit because we didn't have right our director, right. Um, apart from, you know, holding a lot of the administrative uh, duties of the department, right. The director, at least at the center, while while I was working there, also had a, wore, wore a lot of hats in particular during the presentations. Um, so not being able to have uh, someone comfortable enough or even someone in that position, right? It really kind of derailed some of the, some of the workshops and some of the, um, some of the, the, um, yeah, some of the workshops or some of the activities in which the director was directly involved in. Um, so to me that from that kind of hurt me a little bit because in the end of the day, at least to me, I was able to see, how not being able to have someone in a in a prominent position, how that equated to uh, resources not being able to be reached to the students. So in that transitional period, it was you know as Andrea mentioned, she was going through mourning. I was I was a little bit more um, going through frustration um, because you know being and I'll put this in kind of engineering terms because this is how I was able to understand it. Right, I was I was incredibly lucky to be a part of being able to build this wonderful machine we were building to be able to provide resources. And now like, you know, the machine was broken and I didn't have the authority to go out and fix it. Right. Even though I knew how to fix it, I knew what pieces I needed to put together. I knew, but not only for being an engineer, but, but working in on that machine for a while. Right. And that was a frustrating part for me is, 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 was that now this machine was stalling and at, at points was not really running anywhere. Um, and I was able to see students uh, not being able to get access to the resources which they were normally used to. Um, and during that time was also kind of difficult because I was also kind of transitioning over into finishing my PhD and my dissertation in, in engineering as well. So I was also kind of in the morning stages of, of realizing I was going to leave Davis finally <laughs> after 20 years. Um, but, you know, even though I was still part of the center, right, and seeing that, yeah, we were offering resources, but not that much, even then I felt like, right, kind of like what Andrea was feeling as well, is like in the back of my mind, it's like, I want to do this to this at, at this level again. I want to be able to provide these kinds of services because not only – did we know that they were they were beneficial and successful but right like I felt I was good at it too I was like hey this is something I'm passionate about this is something I'm willing to do that I want it I want to incorporate in part of my life other than just you know all the other engineering work that I do I knew that the engineering even though I spent 20 years getting four degrees in engineering I knew that I wanted something else it wasn't going to be enough this PhD that I got I needed something more yeah, and I, I have to say, I think, you know, people also recognized us as, you know, uh, as for the work that we did and 
the Davis community is is pretty small. It's still I still think of it as a small town. Um, even though the university is huge, um, and so I I would still be fielding phone calls and emails from individuals who were seeking me out, asking me questions, and I wasn't going to say, you know, I'm not going to answer that because it's not my job anymore. <laughs> I'm going to, you know, I'm going to answer your question because I want you to get the right answer, or I'm going to refer you to the person that I think has, you know, more information on this than I do. So I think, you know, we can walk away from our formal positions, but I was finding myself back into that informal sort of economy of, you know, using my time after work, before work, you know, at lunchtime to meet with people and help them understand, you know, the fact that I transitioned out of that other job, but also how they could continue to develop their own skill set or how they could um, help particular clients or students or, you know, individuals they know in the community or which resources are appropriate for them to use. And so the work was continuing regardless of what our formal positions were, I think. And I think anybody who is in a similar situation, you know, it's, you're not going to, we're not going to like hold on to that information and not share it if somebody asks. But for me, that started to also solidify the, the necessity out there that there's more than, um, there's, there's more need than there is capacity to, to serve, you know, um, with the, the resources that were in place at that time. So, you know, we, we really saw ourselves as, filling a niche, um, that, you know, wasn't being filled at the time. And, and we continue to see, I think ourselves in power as being able to provide a service to institutions and to the immigrant community by being able to, um, maintain a sort of level of expertise in this particular, you know, area in terms of immigration and education. And, uh, I think that that's really what drove us to formally create Empower as an LLC, as a resource, as, you know, consultants, somebody that, you know, can you can call up and ask questions of, um, but also have, you know, come out and, and provide services like training and, and workshops. Well, it, it's very empowering that you've um, created an LLC out of it. I wanted to just draw a lesson for some of our listeners who are thinking about starting businesses or sharing the skills and experiences they have to do something similar um, that, you know, you were, first of all, there was a major problem and you had a solution, right? And doing it on your own in your, on the side or in your free time, although you were willing, was not sufficient and you couldn't dedicate the time that the problem deserved by doing it as a volunteer. And I just want to highlight, because we have a lot of listeners in our audience, in- including I've had this issue too, and had to work through it, um, you know, who can feel like it, it's wrong to charge for doing service-based work, right? Especially for such a sensitive topic. Um, but I really appreciate, you know, your your understanding, what you're sharing about the importance of resources and, and how that affected the center when it no longer had a director and how that affected resources. Um, because at the end of the day, to do the work and make the impact, we need the resources, right? So I just find it very empowering. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of alignment with how you're trying to empower the students that are going to be impacted by your consulting work um, because you're also empowering yourselves to do it in a way where their resources will be sufficient. So yeah, is there anything, uh, Derek, I know you had your hand up and if there's anything any of you want to add to that, I'd love to hear more about that topic. Oh, um, yeah. Um, I kind of wanted to add on how uh, Empower came about. Um, you know, in 2017, um, I ended up graduating from UC Davis. And then that's when, um, you know, I first uh, became a master's pro- uh, program student, right? So I was uh, the first undocumented student at the A. Gary Anderson Graduate School of Management at UC Riverside, right? Um, so there was a lot of uncertainties within the program. Um, they didn't really know if they could even take me they didn't know what kind of resources they had uh, with financial help with uh, scholarships or even sponsorships or things like that so the, also going through that process it's what really 
um, got me more uh, involved within Empower. Um, I remember Andrea and Hector uh, reaching out to me in December while I was doing uh, my my homework. And then I was like, yeah, like I'm so down for this. Like this is so needed. Uh, and then, you know, living through that experience. Um, so that was definitely needed. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, you know, both Hector and Derek, oftentimes, you know, when we go and present or we meet with schools or students, students are like just in awe and amazed as I am as well, you know, because there are so few role models of undocumented individuals who have, you know, gone through graduate programs, who have, you know, wrangled undergraduate programs, who, you know, have lived the experience. So, you know, I understand as an ally, I can coach somebody, I can give them the information, but, you know, it, it's, it hits differently because I haven't lived it. I didn't have to make the sacrifices. I didn't have to figure out the tough things um, that <laughs> applied to me or didn't apply to me. You know, I had it very easy um, personally. But when students are able to hear directly from individuals who have navigated the very complicated bureaucracy and legislation and pipeline, um, or who, you know, in some instances didn't even have access to those privileges um, when they were, you know, in undergrad. Um, it's really inspiring and it, it gives a whole different meaning to the work we're doing um, to be able to just connect and to have, um, you know, that sort of role model relationship or opportunity um, to basically say, like, you can do it. Like, I've done it, you can do it too, you know? And so I think that that's also important and something that is special about Empower is that we're not just allies doing the work that we are, you know, empowering ourselves to share our stories. And that can be really um, impactful. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else you, would, you all want to share about the work that you're hoping to do? Um, what clients you would love to work with? You know, what you envision Empower doing five years from now? Who wants to go first? <laughs> Derek, you go first. All right. So um, I definitely want to, like, what I envision in five years is... Um, hopefully doing this uh, full time. Uh, I could definitely see myself doing that. Um, and then having that, um, you know, how should I say this? Um, I just want to be able to really like help out a lot of people, right? A lot of, of schools that we want to get involved with, we want to make sure that they have um, the best practices that we've experienced that work. Um, and I want to make sure that all of all of the uh, uh, colleges that we work with get that information. Uh, sorry, I'm just super nervous right now. <laughs> oh, it's okay. You know, it's, that's that's amazing to hear that vision, and I, I'm sure you will help a lot of people. Yeah i I would love to see us. I think one of our ideas was to also explore, you know, becoming a sort of worker owned cooperative. Um, of really kind of growing in power so that we could um, embrace and incorporate more um, more perspectives into our consulting and um, ideally also expand, you know, our, our expertise, right, um, to be able to bring in additional partners and to work on, on that level as a co-op. Um, also because there are some unique um, advantages uh, for... Um, for individuals that don't have traditional work authorization. So I think that that's also important for me is to continue to leverage, you know, any, any sort of, um, you know, momentum that we gather to kind of leverage that and, and keep it going so that we can um, continue to be impactful and, and empowering to the community. Yeah, I've seen that model with, um, I believe it's called Reedy Consulting where they have, um, they're a worker-owned cooperative for the same, 
there's the similar benefit for people who don't have work authorization. And, and um, just to underscore for folks, because a lot of people don't know this, immigrants, regardless of, of their status, can own businesses. There's nothing saying that immigrants can't. The issue with the work permit is really about being an employee. Uh-huh. So that's why um, becoming a consultant can provide so many opportunities financially for people. Yeah, and that was, I mean, I agree with Derek and Andrea, right? I, I also would love this to be my full-time job as well as, um, you know, part of, I think my big motivation too was the fact that, yeah, I'm also documented for how long, who knows, um, and being able to create a system like this, right? It, especially for undocumented folks or folks who don't have work authorization, Um you know, this just what what rings to me is like, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? And I'm like, all right, I'm trying to I'm trying to make another basket here. Um, so yeah, a lot of I think our motivation too was like, how do we? At least yeah, our vision from the beginning is, you know, we want to create something new, but we want to create something that other folks can replicate. We want to be able to create something that other folks can come in and and join into, especially other undocumented and immigrant folks, right? So that was kind of has been right? I think a seedling from the beginning and we're just trying to tend to it and, you know, figure out all of the business, you know, talk to as many folks as we can to be able to kind of grow towards that direction. Um, Because of course, not only right for, is this another opportunity to get funding, but also a great opportunity to just stand alone and not, not be encumbered by some of these um, work authorization laws, if you kind of fit in to the community. Um, but at least for me, one other thing, and I've discovered this too, is being a, now holding a professor role is, you know, as, as, as what Andrea mentioned, right, is, is, is this ability to be able to connect with our community and our students. Um, for I, <laughs> I've been on the grind for so long of trying to achieve that I never really considered myself as a, as a you know, a role model until I actually got into the center, um, because, like I mentioned, I, I was hiding. I was, I was literally hiding from everyone, um, so they wouldn't know that I existed. And once I kind of popped in, there were, you know, everyone kind of did like a double take, like, "Where have you been hiding? Like, where have you been?" Basically, um, and it's kind of taken me a while to kind of recognize that. And up until recently, now that I'm in this professor role and you know, and I, I'm open, I'm grateful that I can be open about my experience and be able to share to my students, like, hey, you have a documented professor. You're not telling the same joke for how long, I don't know, but I'm grateful to be able to teach you. Um, you know, it hits them different too. And, you know, being able to now get some students who are courageous enough to be able to share with me, it's like, hey, professor, I'm, I'm undocumented too, or I'm also documented. Like, I've never had a professor like that before. I'm super excited to be in your class. Right, that to me is, you know, this, it's also been cathartic and it's also been helpful. And that's something that I'm excited about as well with Empower, right, is being able to now connect with all of these students and all of these staff members who were previously undocumented and be able to see, right, someone come into their campus and say like, wow, and we're now at this stage where we can provide something like this to be able to not, not only help all of our students, but, you know, all of those who graduated as well and have been living through through the trauma of, of Right, higher education as an undocumented or immigrant person. Yeah, Hector, I my my heart is just uh, really feeling what you're saying because I can't imagine some of our listeners hearing talk right now and feeling less alone. So thank you for sharing what your journey was to to come out and, and share more about yourself and how brave um, and courageous that was. So. Um, I hope that you've helped others, you know, feel like they can do it too if they want, or that at least they're not the only one and that they could be a professor. So I just can, I get so excited when I think about all the great work you all are going to do in Empower. Um, This is really how impact and change is made. Um, It probably will have far more implications than any policy changes. You know, we, we see how difficult it is to improve the very harsh inhumane immigration laws, but this is the work that makes change. So thank you so much um, to each of you for doing this work and 
If there's anything final you want to add, um, please jump in and, and also share where people can learn more about Empower and, and work with you. Absolutely. I, I just want to leave by saying, you know, any listeners out there, um, if there are ever any questions or doubts, whether you're an educator, a parent, you know, a, an individual, a student or prospective student, um, and you want to learn more about what sort of access you have or is available for an undocumented or immigrant person, feel free to contact us. Um, our website is empower.org. And um, we have contact information there that you can reach out to us. And if we don't know the answer, we feel pretty confident that we can connect you to somebody who, who will, um, particularly with different you know, states outside of California. Um, we do have a, a pretty good network of folks that work on um, things across the country. And so we're able to, to connect and to help. Um, and so I just want people to know that, um, you know, what we say a lot of times is, you know, your your immigration status is just one facet of who you are. It isn't your entire identity. And um, if you have goals, we want to help you reach them. So feel free to reach out, even if it's just to check in, um, to um, to connect with somebody who may have, you know, an idea of what you may be experiencing, uh, whether it's, you know, a, a challenge or a success. Uh, I just want people to know that there are communities all over that um, that are out there support, you know, willing to support and share the experience with you. So I hope that you'll consider Empower one of those communities, one of those pockets of allies and friends and friendly faces and voices that um, can be there for you. Great. Thank you so much. And um, just to repeat the website, it's empower.org. So definitely check it out and, and reach out if, if you would like to support their work and work with them. And just thank you again so much for taking the time. We're really, really grateful to learn more about your story and the work that you're doing. Can't wait to see how it grows. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you so much once again. Thank you for having us. Really. Yes. Thank you. Have a great rest of the day. Take care. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Immigrant Finance Show. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't done so already and leave us a review so we can reach more people to help. Also, did you know we started a free Facebook group for immigrant families who want to build generational wealth? We're doing free monthly trainings covering everything from investing to online business. Plus, you'll be in there with a network of other inspiring members of our community. Make sure to join us at facebook.com slash groups slash immigrant finance. And we'll see you there.